Our gospel reading for today is from Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was cloaked with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the throng of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven that said, You are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On January 27th, 1975, 17-year-old Vera Brandis walked into the Cologne Opera House expecting this to be one of the most exciting days of her life. She was a young part-time staffer at the Opera House in Cologne, Germany, and Vera had convinced the Opera House to host the American jazz pianist Keith Jarrett for a late-night concert of improvisational jazz music. Jarrett was world-famous, having played with some of the greatest jazz musicians all around the globe, and his concert that evening had completely sold out. In just a few hours, Jarrett would step onto stage in front of 1,400 people, take a seat at the piano, and without any music or rehearsal at all, he would begin to play. But when Vera brought Jarrett out on the stage that afternoon and showed him the piano he would be playing, the whole plan quickly began to unravel. First, this piano was a baby grand, so it was half the size it needed to be to produce the sound for a concert in a crowd that size. But when Jarrett sat down and tried to play a few notes, he quickly discovered that this piano was an absolute mess. The opera house, not caring too much about late-night jazz concerts, had supplied an old piano that was out of tune. The black notes in the middle didn't even work, and the pedals stuck. For a world-renowned pianist playing a solo concert for 1,400 people, this piano was unplayable. Well, Vera began to panic. She tried to find a replacement piano, but the rental truck for the opera house was gone for the weekend. 
So then she tried to round up some friends who would be willing to push a grand piano through the streets of Cologne to the opera house, but it was pouring rain that day, and she realized that wasn't a good idea either. So then she brought someone in to try to repair the piano and to get it in working condition before the concert, but even after working all afternoon, they could do nothing about the muffled bass notes, the plunky high notes, and the fact that the piano was so small that it wouldn't make a sound loud enough to reach the balconies of this grand opera house. Now, another important part of this story is that Keith Jarrett was a perfectionist. As a jazz musician, he, of course, was free-thinking, playing whatever came to mind for him in the moment, but he also had very high expectations for his instruments and his concert surroundings, so much so that he was actually known for handing out cough drops before his concerts so that there wouldn't be any rogue coughing fits to disturb his performance. And so at the end of the day... Jarrett said there was no way he was going to perform on this piece of trash piano. He left the opera house and went to his car, leaving Vera behind to deal with the arrival of 1,400 soon-to-be-furious concertgoers. But before she had exhausted all other options, this 17-year-old girl had just one more. She followed Jarrett out to his car, and standing there in the pouring rain, she begged him to play anyway. Finally, he rolled down the window and said, okay, but I am only doing this for you. Jarrett and his producer actually decided at the last minute to record the concert as a cautionary tale to future concert venues. They wanted to have documentary evidence of what a disaster piano concert sounds like to prove that if you don't give Keith Jarrett the right piano, this would be the catastrophic result. But instead of a piano catastrophe... From the minute Jarrett played that first note, Vera later said everyone knew this was going to be magic. His music started simply and quickly gained complexity as he went on. He would stand, he would sit, he would pound the keys as he felt his way through the music and concert goers were absolutely mesmerized. Many would go on to say that this would be the best performance of Jarrett's lifetime. And thankfully, it was recorded because the Cone concert album sold 3.5 million copies and became the best-selling jazz piano album of all time. I was talking to Randy Beery on Friday night at Friday Church, and he came up to me afterwards so excited to tell me that he had the vinyl of this concert. Author Tim Hartford, who shares this incredible story, writes, It wasn't the music that he ever imagined playing. But when he was handed a mess, Keith Jarrett embraced it, and he soared. As I was reflecting on Genesis 1 this week, the words that Renee shared with us in the call to worship, 
I began to wonder if Jared's story is perhaps like what might have happened at creation. I wonder if God stepped out onto center stage, hovering over this messy, formless void, and God got to work. God started simply with light and dark, but gained complexity, and before long, God began to play the most mesmerizing concert that the universe had ever experienced. You see, according to Genesis, there was something even before God started creating. Hebrew scholars have different translations for what that something is. Some say it was emptiness and chaos or void and vacuum or welter and waste. Presbyterian minister and theologian William P. Brown points out that the Hebrew word here is actually more vivid than any, tri- any sort of word we try to use in English because the actual phrase is tohu vavohu, an alliterative meshing of two words whose meaning and sound transcend their individual components. So it's similar to how we might say topsy-turvy or mishmash or hodgepodge. Brown says, designating a messy, confused mixture or conglomeration. And so the curtain rises in the book of Genesis to reveal a cosmic mishmash. In other words, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, it was a mess. Which is a good reminder for me that whenever life feels messy... Like it is completely falling apart. Perhaps that means that the Spirit of God is near, hovering with us just above the chaos and confusion. Friends, it's been a week, hasn't it? I don't know where you were or what you were doing on Wednesday afternoon when the chaos broke out at our nation's capital. I was sitting at my desk here at church talking on the phone with Renee when Austin texted the staff and said, whatever you're doing, you need to turn on the TV. And we watched as this far-right extremist group of hundreds barged their way into the Capitol, seemingly undeterred. They pushed their way through every security guard, broke through windows, scaled the walls of the building, beat down doors. They marched so easily through the rotunda with Confederate flags and other propaganda, put their feet up on the desks and rummaged through offices, stopped to take selfies and to post on social media. They made a complete mess of the building, disrupting Congress's work to affirm the next president and releasing a wave of pain panic and anxiety that trickled out across the entire globe. At least five people were killed in the midst of this angry mob, dozens more injured, and they even erected a noose outside the Capitol, which made their horrific statement and their violence even more loud and clear. It was the first time a group like this has taken over the capital since the War of 1812, which is just hard to fathom. 
But I think what made me even more sick as I watched this unfold was the ease with which they did all of this. Because I knew that had they been people of color or some other marginalized group, had they been marching with Black Lives Matter signs, there would have been so many troops present that they wouldn't have even been able to make it up the first step into the building. And I knew in my gut what our black and brown siblings have been telling us for far too long, that racism is alive and well in this country and that white supremacy was festering among us for so long and now it was just on full display for the rest of the world to see too. It was and still is a complete and utter mess. And friends, the truth is that you and I are not removed from the mess. We are part of it. Perhaps we have contributed to it, or we have benefited from it, or we have been complicit in it. We have been silent when we needed to speak up against it, or we have spoken up when we needed to be silent so that someone else's voice could rightfully be heard. Dorothy Sowell, a German post-war theologian, says that we must first confront the crises surrounding us by affirming our role within them. And then she goes on to say that we are responsible for restoring the house that we may not have built, but in which we now live. And when I read her words... I'm reminded that you and I have a role, not only in what happened this week, but also in what happens next. In rebuilding and recreating this falling apart mess of a world, a mess of a situation in which we find ourselves. In restoring this dilapidated house we may not have built, but in which we now live. Today is the day when we remember our baptism. We remember our calling as beloved children of God. I was originally going to focus more on Jesus' baptism today, but after everything that happened this week, it all felt like such a mess that that didn't seem right. And yet I'm struck that At both creation and at the baptism of Jesus, God looks at what God has made and calls it good. Calls it beloved. It's an important reminder that there is no mess in our lives, no mess in the world, and nothing in all of creation that is too far gone that the waters of baptism cannot restore. That God cannot somehow redeem and make whole and make new. And you and I are invited to be part of that work. To sit down at the dilapidated piano we have been given and to partner with God in creating something far more beautiful than we ever could have imagined was possible. But sometimes when life gets too messy... When the world is falling apart, when we turn on the news and see what we saw this week, I think many of our inclinations, like Keith Jarrett, are to throw our hands up in the air and say, I can't do this. This piano is unplayable. This situation is beyond repair. Our country is too far gone. It's all too messy for me to get involved. 
And yet I believe that Genesis 1 points us toward a God who sees a mess and doesn't run away from it. God doesn't even take one step back. Instead, when God sees chaos, God thinks, huh, I wonder what I could do with that. And suddenly out of the chaos and out of the darkness, God says, let there be light. And God creates light. And I believe that as we co-labor with God in these difficult days, God empowers us, invites us, and challenges us to do the same. I shared this week with you some of Stacey Abrams' words in a pastoral letter to Highland, but I think they are fitting to share again with you today. She says, remember this, in the darkest moments, when the work doesn't seem worth it and change just seems too out of reach, out of the willingness to push through comes a tremendous power. Use it, she says. And so my hope is that even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of the mess, even when it feels like everything is falling apart, that we might be a people who boldly and bravely use this tremendous power God has given each of us to bring peace, to do justice, and to create light. Oh, dear God, in our dark and chaotic world, let there be light. Everything feels like such a mess right now. And we know this mess didn't happen like spilled milk overnight. This mess has been soiling and rotting among us not only this week, not only in the months since the election, not only in the past four years of this current presidency, as difficult as they have been, but for several hundred years now. And we know all too well that even in the weeks ahead, this mess isn't going away overnight. It can't be wiped up that easily. And yet we pray, oh dear God, let there be light. We pray for the leaders of our country. We pray for them to be people of integrity and sincerity and truth-telling. We pray for grounded wisdom and discernment and determination to do difficult things, to do right things, not just careful, politically measured things, not just convenient things, but the right things. We pray for the courage to risk something big for something good. Oh, dear God, let there be light. We confess our part in the mess around us and the mess within us. Our complicity, our silence, our participation, our turning a blind eye, our excusing our contributions, our privilege, our complacency. And even in ways we haven't contributed, we confess 
that we are responsible for restoring the house we did not build, but in which we now live. And so, God, give us a hammer and let us get to work. Oh, dear God, let there be light. We know it's one thing to say these words, and it's another thing entirely to become these words, to partner with the word who became flesh, And so, God, we ask that you would give these words flesh and life among us as we live out the call of our baptisms out of the waters that call to us even still. And so in the words of St. Francis of Assisi, we pray, Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, may we offer pardon. Where there is doubt, help us have faith. Where there is despair, God, surprise us with hope. And where there is darkness, let us be light. Oh, dear God, in this dark and chaotic world, let there be light. Amen.